First Corinthians and the chapter one and the verse twenty three I want to consider with you this evening. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness. We preach Christ crucified. This is, as you know, the 500th anniversary month of the Protestant Reformation. It is marked, of course, by that event that took place towards the end of the month in Wittenberg in Germany whenever Luther nailed his 95 Theses. He still remained in the Catholic Church for several years after that, but that was really the commencement of the earthquake that shook Europe. And this month we especially remember the 500th anniversary. And so for some of the meetings that I'm with you, I want to deal on themes that I think are appropriate to such an anniversary. Protestant basics, if you like, those themes. And the one that I want to deal with tonight, we could call Christ-centered preaching. Christ-centered preaching. The Protestant Reformation brought that back. Christ-centered preaching. In the period before the Reformation, preaching was at a low ebb. Preaching was not something that was vital in the Roman Catholic Church. It wasn't the most important thing. Its sacraments were vital, and they had seven of them, five others along with baptism and the Mass. They had all the trappings and all the ritual, but preachers, good and faithful preachers, were few. And preaching was at a low ebb. Luther said concerning the priests and those who filled the um, office of pastor in the Roman Catholic Church, Luther said concerning them, they lay down and snore in their office and do nothing that pertains to it except that like swine they take up the room where good preachers should stand. That was Luther's opinion of preaching. There were no good preachers, and priests just sat, as it were, in the pulpit and snored in their office. But you know, if preaching was at a low ebb before the Reformation, the preaching of Christ was dead in the water. If there was any preaching... It was about morality, about works, about the papacy, about ritual, about this and that and the other. But Christ was not the center of any preaching that there was. Now, the Reformation did many things, but one of the greatest was it revived preaching. And that's how it spread. That's why it spread. Because it did revive preaching. And it was preaching that spread the Reformation. So the Reformation got us back to preaching. 
And it got us back to Christ-centered preaching. And the Reformed faith is known for that. Now, writing on the pen during Reformation times was very important. Luther's pen was mightily used. But even that cannot relegate preaching. Martin Luther said, The church is not a pen house. It's a mouth house. And the preaching is central. And our text, we preach Christ crucified, is how Reformed and Protestant ministers speak. They don't say, we offer up the Christian Eucharist. They don't say, we do baptisms and masses. No, the Reformation brought the pastoral office back to speaking like this. We preach Christ crucified. That's what the Reformation did. Now we are a relatively young denomination, approximately 70 years old. We're not perfect. No church is perfect. But I think it is true to say we endeavor this. Indeed, it is a motto text even on the pulpit wall of our church. We aim at this. We endeavor this. We seek this. Every minister without exception, is ordained to this, to preach Christ crucified. We preach. That's our method. That's our methodology. That's our means. We preach. And then, Christ crucified. That's our message. The person of Christ, Christ. The work of Christ, crucified, our method and our message. The one gift that goes with the calling to the pastoral office, which all ministers have, is the gift of preaching. Now, they may have many other gifts, but the one that they do have is preaching. If a man hasn't got the gift of preaching, he hasn't been called to the pastoral office. It's the one gift that is given to every minister of the gospel. It's his badge that he's been called by the Holy Spirit. He preaches, and he can preach, and he preaches Christ, and he preaches Christ crucified. So the free Presbyterian pulpit is a preaching pulpit. And what is central in our pulpit is this message of the person and work of Jesus Christ. But tonight I want to ask, why? Why does a Reformed church do that? Why is Christ the center of our preaching? Why? Why does Paul preach Christ crucified? I want to answer that. I think it's something we need to think about. And in answering it, I want to be persuading you and convincing you of its importance, of our text, and of what it means. And I want to try to persuade you why we should keep to this, and why we should never depart from it, and why we should do all means 
to prevent its relegation. Because that's what's happening in Protestant churches today. Preaching is being relegated. And other things are being promoted. So I want to give you four reasons why this is done by the Reformed Church. We preach Christ crucified. It is, first of all, authoritatively biblical. Secondly, it is gloriously worthy. Thirdly, it is humanly needful. And lastly, it is divinely blessed. Authoritatively biblical, first of all. We preach Christ crucified because, men and women, that is the biblical and apostolic and the New Testament way. That is God's way. It's been divinely appointed. It's been divinely ordained and authorized in the Word of God. That's what the apostles did. Now you'll notice what Paul doesn't say. He doesn't say, I preach Christ crucified. He might well have said that, but he's not alone. This is not just a Pauline thing. This isn't just peculiar to Paul, the apostle. No, it's an apostolic thing. It's a Christian church thing. We, we preach Christ crucified. Christ-centered preaching belongs to the church's commission. It's the church's great commission. The The only commission, really, that they were given to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Preach Christ. Preach Christ. That's their commission. It belongs to the constitution of the church. If I may use that expression to show how important and vital it is. Nothing can replace it. Nothing can relegate it without preaching Christ crucified. There's no commission. Jesus said to his disciples, As you go, preach. That's what he said. As you go, preach. He didn't say get into arguments. He didn't say do plays and dramas. He doesn't say enter into debate and dialogue. As you go preach, preach. And so that's what the church is to do. It's authoritatively biblical. He ordained 12. This is the first ordination of New Testament preachers. He ordained 12 that they should be with him. And every preacher should be with Christ. Supporting Christ, the heart for Christ, the love for Christ, at Christ's feet, learning from Him. He ordained twelve that they would be with Him, fellowshipping with Him, and that He might send them forth to preach. That's what the Bible says. To send them forth to preach. It belongs to the essence of the commission. It belongs to the constitution of the church. We could look at the prophets in the Old Testament. It was the same. It's not just in the New Testament. The New Testament preachers and the Old Testament prophets, they're all so different in many, many ways. Their personalities are different. The light and understanding that each had is different. 
more light to New Testament preachers perhaps than to Old Testament prophets, but the one unifying cord that binds them all together, Old Testament prophets, New Testament preachers, the one unifying cord is this, they preach Christ. To him, the Bible says, give all the prophets witness to him that whosoever believes in him shall receive the forgiveness of sins. That's what the Old Testament prophets preached. That was the essence of their ministry. To him, they preached Christ. Forgiveness through him. And it's the same in the New Testament. The New Testament preacher says, he, he commanded us to preach, Acts 10. He commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which is ordained of God to be the judge of the quick and the dead. And daily in the temple, we read in the Acts of the Apostles, daily in the temple and in every house as they moved from congregation to congregation, which met in homes in those days, in every house it's always the same. They cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Never ceased. If they had a meeting in one house, it was the same. If they went to another house, it was not, maybe not the same sermon, but the same substance and theme. Christ. Teaching and preaching Christ crucified. Unto me, Paul said, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given that I should preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. And the Reformed Church must never depart from that. From time to time, the church has to check itself, men and women. From time to time, we have to just make sure that we do not depart or are not departing or have not departed from the old paths. From time to time, the church is called to do that. And when it finds that it has, what is it to do? It's to reform. If it departs again like the Roman Catholic Church did, it has to reform again and get back to the old paths. The church never stops reforming until it stops departing. And the history is that it never stops departing. And we have to keep reforming, checking the old paths, getting back to Protestant basics. And one of them is this, preaching, the primacy of preaching and the centrality of Christ crucified. So we have to check. Check that we're using the right means. Check that we're delivering the right message. And I should say to men and women that we don't do this because it's popular with the world. Really, that's the criteria for anything today. Oh, it's popular. The main reason why anybody does anything, oh, it's popular. We'll do it because it's popular. We'll do it because it gets the people in. We'll do it because it doesn't drive the people away. And that's the criteria for, for it. If it's popular, we'll do it. Well, Paul didn't preach because it was popular. In fact, it wasn't popular. Paul refers to the effects of his message in the text. He says, we preach Christ crucified. Unto the Jews, it's a stumbling block. Unto the Greeks, foolishness. 
Well then, Paul, do you not think you should give up? Do you not think you should stop? You're just putting stumbling blocks before the Jews. Should you not stop Paul preaching Christ crucified? And those Greeks for all their education and their degrees, they're, you're annoying them and you're turning them into mockers. Should you not stop this preaching business? No, he didn't stop. He didn't preach it because it was popular. It was unpopular. But still the church must preach. Luther said, and because it's a, a Reformation sort of theme, I'm quoting a lot from Luther. He says, as long as we preach Christ and confess him, we must be content to be called vicious troublemakers. That's what the gospel preacher was called in, in, in Luther's day. That's what Luther was called. A vicious, not just a troublemaker, but a vicious, a vicious troublemaker. He says we have to be content with that. What can we do? We're still preaching. We're not going to stop. He says, if, if I would keep silent, he said, all would be well, and the Pope would no more persecute me. Christ foresaw the reaction of the world to the gospel, Luther said, because he said, I am come to send fire on the earth, and what will I if it be kindled already? That's what gospel preaching does. It kindles a fire. It disturbs men. It gets a response and very often, and even most usually, the response is not good. But we'll still do it. We'll preach on. We'll preach Christ crucified. We must never cease to do it, even if it's not popular. It's authoritatively biblical. But then secondly, it's gloriously worthy. We preach Christ crucified because... There's no more worthy theme. It's the central theme of the Bible. It's why we have our Bibles. Why do we have our Bibles? To tell us about Christ and the cross and our salvation. It's the central theme. Luther said, I see nothing in Scripture except Christ crucified. And he's right. If you read your Bible... In the Old Testament, right through it, there's nothing in it except the blood and the cross work and the atonement and the need for a Savior in Christ. It's the great theme of the book. And what subject reaches that in glory and dignity? It's not a subject of human origin, men and women, but of divine revelation. It's a theme that angels delight to study. Angels don't study geography. And they don't study um, human philosophy. Uh, and they're hardly one bit interested in human anatomy. But they study the cross and Christ and this mystery of justifying the ungodly. That just mystifies them. It's a great theme. It's a great mystery. It's a theme that we can never exhaust. It's a theme that we'll still be talking about throughout all eternity. Studying it. Studying the person of Christ. The mystery of the incarnation. How will they study it and 
wonder how the person of Christ and two natures united in one person. There's depths here to swim in. And we have the revelation of God's word about it. But in heaven, we'll be able to study it even more deeply that we see the Lord of glory with his nail-pierced hands and feet. Paul calls this theme the unsearchable riches of Christ. There's nothing more valuable. There's nothing more precious. What else is there to preach? Why, why preach about we copper beads or, or we plastic beads when you have the unsearchable riches? It's worthy to preach. There's nothing more valuable. That's why Reformed preachers are so happy. Are you a happy preacher? You're asking me, yes, I'm a happy preacher. You know why? Because I can preach Christ. I'm the happiest man in the world because I can preach Christ. Preachers are happy. They're handling diamonds. They're setting forth precious jewels. The, the teaching profession is very important. And I wouldn't demean any teacher in all aspects of education. We have to educate our young we have to establish them in, in all kinds of things. We certainly have to teach them to read and to write and to communicate. All forms of education are very important. But there's only one pearl of great price, and that's Christ. And preachers are merchant men with that gem. And so I'm not up here giving you geography lectures and talking about wee stories and educating you in science and bringing in chemicals and all this and that and the other. No, preaching Christ, that's a thing angels would queue up to do if they could. But they can't. And so you see, it's worthy. His person is worthy, preaching Christ. He is God over all, blessed forever, the second person in the Godhead. There's no greater person to preach Christ. He's equal with the Father in power and glory. In heaven they sing, Thou art worthy, O Lord. They praise the Lamb. And if he's worshipped and adored in heaven, and the center of heaven, he must have to be the center of our preaching and our proclamation on earth. I'm not going to proclaim Gabriel or Michael or any of the other angels. No, there's only one who became incarnate. It was the Word, the eternal Word that was made flesh. Who else is there to preach? Christ. Christ alone and none beside Him. The miracle of the incarnation, such a thing has never been heard tell of. God and man and one person forever. That's who we preach. One who for us and for our sin was made and born into the world, made flesh and died for us. We preach no mere man. We preach no mighty angel. We preach God manifest in flesh. He's worthy. He's worthy to be proclaimed. The first of 10,000. The first and the last. Besides whom there is none else. And then his work. Not only the glory of his person, but the glory of his work. Crucified. The shame of the cross, and yet the glory of it. The glory. God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross. Not any old cross either. The cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. We glory in it. We delight in it. We preach it. 
crucified, our text says. The glorious work of atonement, the sacrifice of his body and blood upon the tree for our sins. There's no worthier thing. And especially that's what the angels desire to look into. I mean, the the mercy seat, the chair you've been above the mercy seat, and they're looking towards each other, and they're looking towards the, the mercy seat as if they're studying the blood, and yet they're just mind boggled as they stir into each other's eyes. Whoever saw such a thing? The Son of God shedding his blood for sinners. And so, (coughs) in creating worlds, God could sit and speak from his eternal throne in heaven. But in redeeming humanity, he couldn't sit and speak. He had to come. And he had to take flesh. And he had to die. The redemptive work is far greater than the creative work. The creative work was just setting up the stage for the great work of all. It's the redemptive work that is the greatest. So we preach the greatest theme and the greatest person worthy of proclamation. We preach Christ crucified. And so it is authoritatively biblical. It is gloriously worthy. And thirdly, it is humanly needful. Men and women, we preach Christ crucified because it is the most needful theme, the needful theme in all the world. It's what sinners need. Why does Paul preach Christ? Because the world needs Christ. Why does he want to go to Rome to preach Christ? Because Rome needs Christ. That's why it is part of preaching to show men their need of Christ. That's part of preaching Christ, to show men their need. We're sinners, and sinners are condemned, and sinners are perishing and going to hell, and Jesus Christ is the only Savior. That's why we preach Him. But why, why, why would I talk about geography? Why would I talk about geology? Why would I talk about all the interesting things that happen in history? Why would I do that? Why would I spend your precious Sabbaths giving you some wonderful little stories and telling you great things? Because you need Christ. I preach him. And because we need the cross, we preach the cross. (coughs) He's the world's only hope, men and women. And he's your only hope. And you need him. And that's why I preach him. That is why the cross is the center of our message, the atoning blood. Our greatest need is the need of our soul, the need of forgiveness, the need to be right with God. You know all of this. And preaching brings sinners into contact with Jesus Christ. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. It has pleased God, we read it, by the foolishness of preaching to see it. It's preaching that God uses to bring sinners 
to an encounter with Jesus Christ. Martin Luther said this, to preach Christ is to feed the soul, to justify it, to set it free, and to save it if it believes the preaching. Those are strong words. If you took them out of context, you could say Luther's a heretic. Preaching justifies, it saves, it sets men free. Not in itself, but in the message that preaching brings, if it is believed. That's why preaching is so very, very important. Men are saved through preaching. And you'll not be saved without it. It is not only needful for our salvation, men and women, but it's also needful for our holiness. And Paul never, never ceases preaching Christ. Even when he establishes New Testament congregations, he keeps on preaching Christ crucified. Why? Yes, they're saved, but why? Because they need to be holy. It's the same message that makes them holy as that saves them. Child of God can never be without this subject, this food, this diet. Of the gospel. And so Christians need it too. We preach Christ because it is humanly needful. Authoritatively biblical. Gloriously worthy. But then lastly, divinely blessed. We preach and we preach Christ. And we preach Christ crucified because, men and women, it is what the Holy Spirit uses to truly glorify God and to bless sinners. It's what the Holy Spirit blesses. It's what the Holy Spirit uses in the salvation of souls. Christ-centered preaching has been ordained by God. And therefore, it is not a human means. It's not come out of imagination. It hasn't come out of the, the salesman's gimmick university. It's come from heaven. It's the divine means. It's the means of God's appointment. It is a heavenly means and it is accompanied by the Holy Spirit's blessing. Jesus said, He shall testify of me. He shall testify of me. Now, how do you hear the testimony concerning Christ? Does the Holy Spirit come to your ear and talk to you about Jesus in your ear and in your heart? Has anybody ever heard the Holy Spirit like that? No, he, he comes in the preaching through the word. That's how he comes. So the apostles were sent to testify and the, and the Lord Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to do that work and, and company with them to testify as well. He'll testify of me and you'll testify of me too. And so preaching is accompanied with power. The power of the Holy Spirit. 
You see, Paul here talks about, yeah, to the Jews it's a stumbling block, to the Greeks it's foolishness, but he says, to them who are called, to them who are called, it's different. Whether they're Jews or Greeks, Christ, the power of God, there's an encounter to those who are called in the preaching. There's There's a relationship that's forming. And it's the Holy Spirit that does that calling and cements that relationship. Luther said, Christ very definitely says, the Holy Spirit will witness of me. Of me and not of someone else. Beyond this witness of the Holy Spirit about Christ, there is no sure and abiding comfort. That is why one should write the words of me with capital letters and diligently remember them. For of this we may be certain, that the Holy Spirit promotes no other doctrine, preaches neither Moses nor other laws, whereby to comfort the conscience. If the conscience is to be comforted, it can only be by the preaching of Christ's death and resurrection. This alone comforts us. So you see how he talks about the witness of the Holy Spirit, but he also ties it in with the preaching of Christ's death and resurrection. He's quite right, Luther. Remember Peter, how he came to the house of Cornelius, how God brought him there by revelation and how the men who come to his house guided him to Cornelius' home. And how that when he come into the Cornelius' house, they said that we're all here present before God to hear. And Peter opened his mouth, the Bible says, and he says, we are witnesses. Of all things which he did, he did Christ. We are witnesses how God raised him from the dead and how he was hung on a tree. And he commanded us, he says to Cornelius and his family, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who is ordained of God. And to him, Peter goes on and says, to him, give all the prophets witness that whosoever believes on him shall be saved. He's preaching Christ. He's preaching the cross. He's doing nothing else. He's not trying to promote himself with with learning. He's not trying to show himself as an eloquent man. He's preaching Christ and the cross and the resurrection and the need for the forgiveness of sins. And telling the people it's him. It's him that all the prophets preached about. You know what happened? The Holy Spirit fell. He fell on all them that heard the word. He blessed the preaching. And he worked in the house of Cornelius through the preaching. Now, why didn't the Spirit of the Lord just come down before Peter arrived and just you know, work in them? They had to have the preaching. They had to have a Spirit-filled preacher They had to have Peter and they had to have the message and they had to have Christ crucified set before them. And that's what the Spirit uses. And brethren and sisters, I know the tide goes out and the Spirit of the Lord can leave us for a while, but the danger is that we try to use other things to try to create and stir up something. It doesn't work. It won't work. We have to stick to the old-fashioned means. And we have to pray and wait for the Holy Ghost. And he will bless the preaching 
And he does bless it to his people. We want to see it blessed to sinners in their conversion. And so you see the Holy Spirit blesses it. And that's why we do it. And so Luther said, for the Holy Spirit carries out his witness publicly in the sermon. That is where you must seek and await him. Till the word which you hear with your ear witnesses inwardly of Christ in your heart. But such inward witness does not come about until the external spoken witness of the word is heard, which tells that Christ became man, was crucified, died, and rose again for our sakes. Do you see what Luther's saying? Yes, we need the witness of the Spirit. We need him working in our hearts. But he says he will not work unless there is the word there to accompany. And that's why we preach Christ crucified. Trusting in the Holy Ghost to make it effectual to the called. And so as a Reformed church, men and women, we must continue in the primacy of preaching. Don't get tired of it. Don't, don't want a change of it. Don't ask for it to be relegated. Desire it and pray for it. Christ-centered preaching. It's written there for as long as we live. We preach Christ crucified. So love the preaching of the gospel. Attend the preaching of the gospel. Pray and expect that God will make Jesus Christ real to you in the preaching of the gospel. And that you would have an encounter with him in the preaching of the gospel. And pray for the ministry, for a faithful ministry, for a Holy Spirit anointed ministry and labor and endeavor to get your loved ones under the preached word. They're not going to be saved without hearing the word. You need to get them under the word. If they reject the preached word, they reject Christ. Let us pray.